0: Good morning and welcome to Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts. This morning, I want to chat with you about one of those important uh, concepts, system of ethics. The notion of ethics. The notion of Judaism as a system of ethics. A system of ethics is primarily concerned with the proper treatment of human beings by other human beings. It is necessary to understand the importance of human life in order to fully appreciate one's ethical duties and obligations and also privileges. In part, it is because people are so important that they must be respected, assisted, and honored. Moreover, when you think about it, many controversial moral dilemmas revolve around the question of what human life is worth and how life's value measures up against other relevant factors. Judaism has often been portrayed as a life-affirming religion which places the preservation of human life above all else. There is a great deal of truth in this. From the Tanakh, the Hebrew scriptures forward, Jewish tradition emphasizes the unique position of humanity and the preciousness of each individual person within the whole scheme of creation. Some of you as listeners or students of the Bible will know that the Jewish text gives permission for an individual Jew to violate any law, including the law of Shabbat or the law of Yom Kippur, for the immediate saving of another individual's life. Nevertheless, it should be stressed that the Torah does not see human life per se As its chief concern, Judaism is, in many respects, humanistic, but it is a religious humanism, which is grounded in beliefs about the divine. For example, a root of Jewish teachings regarding the special importance of the human being is found in the biblical idea that humankind was made in God's image. Genesis 1.27 says, Let me read it to you. Some of you will remember that section from your studies of Bible, Genesis 1, verse 27. So God created man in his own image, and he created him in the image of God. He created them, male and female. This would suggest that human worth is derived from a source which is in itself both prior to and higher than the human being. While human life is extremely important, divine standards of morality and holiness can often supersede it. Certain dramatic and exceptional problems help to highlight the tensions which can develop between our devotion to life and our devotion to God and His commandments." Among these problems are cases where capital punishment is demanded by the Torah. Here the belief in life's preciousness creates a paradox. Should a murderer be put to death? What role does crime or sin play when evaluating the worth of someone's life? Another example of this sort of tension arises when one would have to commit a terrible crime in order to save one's own life. Does the principle of life's great value permit all forms of behavior? By the same token, one can ask, is there anything worth dying for? The late great Rabbi Leo Beck, who was the chief rabbi of Berlin during the events of the Second World War, wrote, Wherever a Jew lived, there the spiritual meant more than the worldly, even if he had to deprive himself of all advantages and amenities of life. An element of true idealism reaching to martyrdom has always been present in the Jew, often manifesting itself in that ethical defiance with which the oppressed raises his head all the higher. So this morning, I want to chat with you about the meaning of human life and the understanding that Jewish tradition has about what is a human being, the significance of human life. We can phrase the intentionality of our chat this morning in many different ways. And to do that, I want to ask you to turn to your Bible Again, Genesis, this time chapter 8, and we're going to look at the story of Noah. We're not going to read the whole story of Noah, but we're going to read part of it beginning in verse 20. Then Noah built an altar to God. He took some of every kind of clean animal and every kind of clean bird and offered burnt offering on the altar When God smelled the pleasing aroma, God said, I will never again curse the ground because of humanity, even though his inclination is evil from his youth. And I will never again strike down every living thing as I have just done. As long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer, winter, and day and night will not seed Will not cease. God blessed Noah and Noah's sons and said to them, Be fruitful and fill the earth. The fear and terror of you will be in every living creature on the earth, every bird of the sky, every creature that crawls on the ground, and all the fish of the sea. They are placed under your authority. Every living creature will be food for you. As I gave the green plants, I now give you everything. However, you must not eat meat with lifeblood in it. I will require the life of every animal and every man for your life and your blood. I will require the life of each man's brother for another's life. Verse 6, whoever sheds men's blood, his blood will be shed by man. For God made man in his divine image. But you be fruitful and multiply, spread out over the earth and multiply on it. Then God said to Noah and his sons with him, Understand that I am confirming my covenant with you and your descendants after you. I confirm my covenant with you that never again will all flesh be wiped out by the waters of a deluge, and there will never again be a deluge to destroy the earth. And God said, This is the sign of the covenant I am making between me and you and every living creature with you, a covenant for all future generations. I have placed my bow, a rainbow, in the clouds, and it will be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Whatever principles may be learned in this section regarding the preciousness of human life, the flood story, the entirety of it, stands as a major qualification of those principles. The same God who created all life swept that life away based on considerations of the good and the bad in a fundamental sense morality outweighs and overrides human existence as it's purported in the torah among other things the flood implies that mere survival is not a sufficient basis for the existence of humankind life per se is not the most important matter in the world ironically though this story also indicates That one of the central purposes of the flood was to reestablish or reassert life's value. The world was to be given a new understanding built upon reverence for living, especially human beings. The value of life was not simply about being alive. The value of life is how you lived This text begins with the sacrifice of Noah offers to God upon leaving the ark. The offering appears to function as a trigger, releasing God's pledge to guarantee the normal continuation of the world. By this gift sacrifice, Noah serves as a reminder of what potentially human beings can be like, morally decent and loyal to God. After rejecting humanity through the flood, God goes on to reject punishments like it through a self-limiting promise. For all time, he says, this will not cease my promise. God makes life on earth more secure. However, it should be noted that the stated motive for God's promise that man possesses an irreducible dimension of evil the yetzer hara of man's heart are bad from his youth, the text says. On one hand, this is a modification of God's earlier pronunciations in chapter 6 of Genesis. The human being is now bad only in youth, not all the day. Yet it still indicates that God's revolved never again to destroy humankind is a recognition that one cannot expect too much from people. The Torah, it seems, is very realistic about human weakness. For a human world to endure, God must tolerate many violations of his standards. Still, God agrees to start over. The world has been punished in the severest possible way. In fact, one could even say that this was capital punishment for almost all. And now it appears that God wants to begin a process of re-establishing the significance of human life, God's forswearing all similar flood-like destruction can be seen in the first step in that process, as in Bereishit Aleph in Genesis one, God blesses the humans and tells them to reproduce, and perhaps you heard the resonance in this section of Genesis from Genesis one. As before, the world will be filled with life. This time around, however, a new element is injected into man's relations with earth, other beings. Fear and dread. Already in the days of Adam and Chava, Adam and Eve, dominion over other forms of life was given to the human. The human was told to master his surroundings in Genesis 1. After the flood is even more sharply separated from his animal brothers, and now he may eat them. Previously, the Torah said that all human beings were vegetarians. Listen to Genesis one twenty-nine. if this is a surprise to you. Genesis 1, verse 29. God said, Look, I have given you every seed-bearing plant on the surface of the earth and every tree whose fruits contain seed. This will be your food. God seems to be enforcing a certain hierarchical framework upon his creations. This is possibly meant to counteract the chaos and destruction of the boundaries, the Hamas chaos that preceded the flood. According to uh, one rabbinic commentary, one of the common pre-flood transgressions was cross-species sexuality. And while there may also be undesirable consequences of this alienation from animal life, through it, the human being knows more clearly who he or she is and who he or she is not. The human's power over the animals emphasizes— that humanity is not simply an animal. In addition, perhaps God wishes to have humans channel some of their violent, bloody tendencies into the eating of meat rather than once again, once to another. The implication, of course, is that humankind is more important to God than the rest of creation. This is where our text makes a crucial turn signaled by the word in Hebrew, ach which is used twice in verses chapter 9, 4, and 5. I will read that again to you. However, you must not eat meat with its life blood in it. I will require the life of every animal and every man for your life and your blood, and I will require the life of each man's brother for a man's life. While there are many... Laws are introduced which aim at constructing an awareness of the God-given character of everything that moves. Although human beings are now allowed in this story to consume animal meat, they must refrain from taking flesh or its blood before the beast has died. The Torah prohibits these acts which exhibit cruelty and complete disregard for animal existence. Later, of course, the Jewish people are charged with many additional regulations concerning the treatment of animals. But this is the first step. Blood here is a symbol for that which lives in the life essence for every human being ultimately belongs to God. In the case of the human, his blood of life must not be spilled at all. The worth of human life is indicated in this passage through the statement that God seeks out human blood. The Hebrew term is doresh, which can also be rendered as search or demand. In this context, the verb has the connotation to hold accountable. Thus suggests that God will take vengeance upon killers. Violence in a case-by-case basis will not go unrequited in this new divine reality. But it should be noted that God charges humankind itself with the duty to punish murderers, By man shall his blood be spilt. Apparently God seeking out is not only a description of his own activity, but also represents the divine underpinning for a system of justice. After the flood, it seems humankind's responsibility and perhaps value is increased on two levels. One through a formal legal prohibition against murder and two through God's demand that humans enforce the prohibition by capital punishment if necessary. The second point, as you can hear, involves a paradox, one that runs through all of Jewish tradition, even though taking human life is forbidden. The violation of certain Torah laws, in this case murder itself, turns killing into a divine imperative. This can be understood as teaching on the one hand that a murderer forfeits his own existence and on the other hand that no punishment besides death could compensate for the severity of the crime. Critical to the story, critical to this story in the Torah is the ultimate rationale for these principles of life and death. Humanity's value, humanity's worth or the importance is a product of being made selam Elohim, in God's image. The meaning of this image has many possible interpretations. From its use in this context, several key teachings in Jewish tradition emerge. For the Torah, human worth is in one sense derivative. Humans are of great importance because of God, Real value resides only in God who granted something of his eternal essence to humankind. This means that humanity is truly precious and murder so grave, and yet humans are not the source of their own worth. This notion, this theological insight is important for understanding the logic behind capital punishment. For if human worth is dependent on God, this opens the possibility— that a person could disfigure his or her own divine likeness. A murderer alters the quality of his own or her own soul. Finally, at the end of this story of Noah, God repeats his command for procreation. The opposite of killing is a new life. Each child is a fulfillment of God's hope that life be amplified and extended. Human beings are now allowed a second chance to make good on their birthright, embodying the image of God. Well, you'll notice how many different principles the story of Noah, these last verses in the story of Noah, not the concluding verses. But certainly the most important end verses after the flood give rise to questions about capital punishment and capital punishment not simply as retribution, which is the way it's sometimes spoken of, but as the manifestation of God's commandment. The Jewish people have wrestled throughout history with what this means where their capital punishment, as enunciated in the Torah, should be implemented in all cases. So let me read to you a somewhat complicated but important section of the Talmud that discusses the implementation of God's commandment. This comes from the Mishnah, the second century codification of Jewish commentary on the Torah, and it comes from the section called Sanhedrin which is the section on law on the methodology of implementing the rules and regulations for implementing God's commandments so listen carefully how are the witnesses intimidated in capital intimidated in capital cases they were brought into the courtroom and intimidated as follows. Perhaps you will say things based on conjunction or based on rumor or based on what you heard. Another testify in court and say we heard it from a trusty person or perhaps you are unaware that we intend to inter- in- interrogate you with probing questions. Be well aware. So this is all how the rabbis of antiquity talked about how interrogation and should function uh, with witnesses in a capital case. Be well aware that capital cases are unlike monetary cases. In monetary cases, a person can give money to rectify his false or unreliable testimony and be absolved in sin. However, in capital cases, a witness is responsible for the condemned man's blood and the blood of his potential offspring until the end of the time. This is demonstrated in the story I'm reading from the Sanhedrin now of Cain killing his brother as it is stated in Genesis 4.10, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. It does not say your brother's blood, rather your brother's blood's his blood, and the blood of his potential offspring. Therefore, human beings were created as a single individual in order to teach all that whoever destroys one life is considered by the Torah to have destroyed a whole world, and whoever preserves one life is considered by the Torah to have preserved a full world. Those of you who um, have a memory of Schindler's List know that this quote from the Talmud plays an essential part in the story. This also teaches the greatness of the Holy One, blessed be He, for a person presses out many coins in the same mold, and they are all like. But the Supreme King of Kings, the Holy One, blessed be He, pressed out every person from the mold of the first person, and not one of them is like another. Therefore, every person is obligated to say... This world was created for me. But perhaps you, the witness in this capital case, will say, why should we incur the guilt of this person's blood? Better we not testify at all. Then you shall realize that it says in Proverbs, upon the destruction of the wicked, there is rejoicing. Now that's a somewhat complicated way to say that testimony of witnesses in this case, in the case of capital, crimes, is extremely important. And that the basis for this importance is for the witness and those who question them to understand the importance of the human life. In classic rabbinic fashion, this way of looking at things is attached to a specific source in the Torah, Cain is the first person to kill, and he killed sinfully. When God confronts him over the deed of spilling his brother's blood is described in plural language. This linguistic irregularity seen as pointing to the notion that every life carries its future offspring within, in a genetic or biological sense, A human being represents an unlimited number of children. His or her blood could produce an entire world of people. So, God was making a fundamental statement about humans and their value. Since the whole world ultimately descends from one lone man, this implies that each individual is potentially a father or mother of the species And although this sounds very similar to the principle which was derived from the death of Chevo, the rabbis are now going further. The masses of people, the whole human race, were created as a single individual. Adam and God acted this way to indicate that one soul is as valuable or as precious as many or as all. Initially, all humankind was one person. Adam was not just a progenitor of humanity in the beginning he was humanity a full world in and of himself qualitatively not quantitatively adam was precious and this stress stress on the importance of each life is strengthened when it says that the wrongful killing is that each victim is one of a kind in the talmud in the torah In Jewish tradition, every human being is valuable and is important. The notion that each human being is important and is in them themselves created in the divine image serves as the basis for all of our ethical wrestling with the decision-making that revolves around capital punishment, And as it would turn out, other important life or death issues. For Jewish faith and Jewish facts, I'm Rabbi Stephen Garten. You can listen to this broadcast on a podcast, either on iTunes or the CHRI website. Good morning. Shalom.